What's happening, horror files? Welcome back to another episode of Week in Horror, June 14th through June 20th. Thank you all so much for joining us. I'm JL, and with me today is Eugene. What's up, everybody? And we want to give a huge, splattery thank you to our new guest host, Johnny O from the Plot Hole. Hey, who hey. Joins us, who joins us while Alex is on vacation. And while not reading the script. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, perfect. You, you, you filled Alex's shoes perfectly. <laughs> Glad to be here. It's so awesome. So let's take a moment. Normally we uh, we kind of look back at the week and like that, but there's not much going on except for a lot of craziness. But we're here to take you away from the craziness. So we're going to take a moment to get to know our guest host, Johnny. You and I have worked together before on a few things over on the plot hole. You've given me uh, kind of an audience to do some debates and stuff there. But we really don't know much about the plot hole. How the, how the fuck did that whole thing kick off? Uh, well... My usual, my usual host, uh, Jeremy Flair, um, he and I, we started this thing oh, 2016, I want to say. We started as a segment show, a uh, top 10 segment show on the Jay Stone show over on rockmetaltalk.com. Started out as a 10-minute show, and then we kind of just blew it up from there. Our very first top 10 was top 10 horror films because it was a Halloween show. Uh, that's just been a, a subject that he and I have, I mean... We're always debating amongst ourselves who's the better uh, Freddy Krueger or this guy or that guy. What's the better film franchise? And uh, yeah, it's just been a lot of fun, a lot of fun doing that. So ever since then, kind of just blew up, uh, got bigger and bigger. And the uh, the Jay Stone said, hey, come, why don't you just do your own show? Stop being on my show. <laughs> so here we are. <laughs> it is awesome. Um, love what you guys do over there. Thank you. Uh, it, and it's been really, really cool getting getting to go on to uh, the plot hole um, on Friday nights and just kind of end my week. Uh, the few times that I have with, you know, just kind of you know, either taking swings at uh, people in debates or having, you know, good, deep discussions or, or just shoot the shit, which yeah. is a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. So we have a lot of fun over there. All right. Well, that's pretty much it. Why don't we get this party fucking started? Eugene is going to kick us off this week. What delightful little film do we have first? Oh, we have a very delicious film. (laughs) (laughs) It's sweet. Creamy. A nice sweet treat. (laughs) Released June 14th, 1985, a film called The Stuff. Right. Uh, Stars... Michael Moratti, Moriarty, Moriarty, Andrea Markovich. (laughs) (laughs) And and Garrett Morris, directed by Larry Cohen. And basically in a nutshell. Don't don't forget, don't forget. Paul Sorvino. Yeah. And Danny Danny Aiello were in the were in this motherfucker. Oh yes. Yes. And it is, it's about basically a private detective investigates a new consumer taste treat that is absolutely delicious, but possibly lethal. And then craziness ensues. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking crazy. And what's awesome is that Cohen, because you, you, you mentioned the cast, and I, and I got to give credit for, credit for this because he filled the cast with a with a ton of fucking names 
because not only did he have Danny Aiello, he had uh, fucking Patrick O'Neill, he had Paul Sorvino, all of them legends in themselves. But he also had like he had Anthony Perkins in this fucker. He had Jeffrey Combs, Abe Vigoda, <laughs> Eric Bogosian, and fucking Patrick Dempsey. Yeah, from Gray from Grey's Anatomy fame, we're all in this movie in various ways. And Mira Sorvino. Yeah, I was gonna say Mira Sorvino was in it too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I think uh, the story goes that she had been um, her father is, is is Paul Sorvino. She had come to visit on set to visit her dad, and she was just thrown in as an extra. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's how ragtag this production was. <laughs> I imagine this is this was a fun as fuck. Given given Larry Cohen's a, a vi- original vision and what he was intending to do with the script, I imagine this was a seriously fun set to to work on. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It had to be, and um, I mean, it was just, hey, you have stuff that just kills people. Like that was it. I got stuff that kills people. Let's make him film. Let's go. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Well, originally, originally, I know Cohen was going uh, going for a more satirical film, but he was poking fun. It was supposed to be a comedy. Yeah, originally. so yeah, this was supposed to be more of a horror comedy, kind of in the vein of, uh, oh, geez, golly, I can't even, little shop of uh, little shop of horrors. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the whole idea was supposed to be that we've got this um, sweet treat that's killing everybody. So obviously, the the satire of consumerism and the the country the well the, really the world's fucking need for sweet treats and shit i mean if you look at the, the mid 80s that's kind of like when snickers and all this shit just like really fucking blew up uh consumerism just buy 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 and here's all the sweetness and we're filling people up with candy and hot dogs Cotton candy. (laughs) (laughs) You're Uh, right, because you have the stuff that we know it's bad for you. Yes. We we do. We know it's bad, but we still eat it anyway. Well, yeah, that's that's the kind of the that's that's the over the top satire there that here we are. We don't give a shit that it's terrible for us. We're going to still eat it. Well, they technically they technically don't know that it's it's terrible for them in the film. Right. Because it's because it's zero calorie. Um, it's 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 almost zero fat. Um, it's got everything you need, and it tastes fucking great. Well, see, but if you so, look at that, if you if you look at that and juxtapose it to what really happens with the food that we eat in this country, none of that really means anything. Just because it's zero fat and this, that, and the other, doesn't mean it's good for you. And a lot of people. That also doesn't mean that it's like you know the excrement of some giant monster. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's exactly that's exactly what sugar free means. <laughs> I, I, fucking, I fucking loved it um so many there's so many fantastic scenes i love the obviously you know the reliance on practical effects you know you know it's gonna be a fucked up story just for that opening moment because you know you get the guys working in the yard all of a sudden this white shit starts bubbling up out of the ground and it's like oh and you know i'll taste it it was like what the fuck are you doing exactly like oh it tastes good <laughs> it, it, it tastes sweet it was like oh son of a bitch but yeah. I love the practical, practical effects that they worked with this. And you could tell that they had a lot of fun oh, yeah. on this thing. But despite the fact that we could have had a really, really funny satirical horror film that that, that takes jabs at you know fads and trends and just American consumerism and mm-hmm. just the desire to be, you know, like pretty much FOMO before FOMO was a thing. Right. And just the need to to constantly have the one thing that everybody the, the need for popularity in that whole con- in that whole concept. 
But the studio itself had a real problem with this. Yeah. Because. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say because uh, Cohen didn't have Final Cut. And that really, really hurt the film in the end. Yeah. So New World, they wanted that was a that was a film company, New World Pictures Company. They didn't like they didn't like the fact that it was slow and funny. They wanted a more straight up in your face horror film, which I don't know how the fuck they could have ever expected to get a in your face horror film with a movie called The Stuff about <laughs> a sweet treat that bubbles up from the ground and kills people. I mean, this is or, like, oh, 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 I love the description. I love the description because we, we, we keep saying it kills people. But uh, the what was it that it it fills them up and then consumes them from the inside, leaving them a shell of their former selves. Right. Exactly. <laughs> More <laughs> so, satire. So, it, it, that is so fucking brilliantly written. Yes. I fucking love that because I mean, the applicability across the board is yeah, fantastic. Exactly. I don't see. That's just what kills me about this whole thing is that this movie could have been so much better. I mean, not that it was terrible. It was a, it's a good, fun film. Could have been so much better had they let the uh, the satire flow, so to speak. Exactly. It is when you hire a director, you gotta trust the director. Yes. You you hire the director for their vision and how they want to tell the story. Like I've never understood why studios will go, okay, we want you to direct it, but we don't trust you. Well, then get another fucking director. Yeah. Yeah. That like just like just straight up because I mean the movie it is it's fun and you have you know people explode and all this other kind <laughs> of stuff but it could have been better oh yeah oh that whole that whole fucking scene when uh when uh, ch- ch- what's what's the character's name uh, chocolate chip oh uh, uh, chocolate uh, chip Charlie yeah oh, yeah. yeah yeah when he's, yeah. In, when he's in he's in the sound booth and his head's fully like ah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 the girl's like girl grabbing by the shoulders and it's like, yeah foaming out that shit is yeah. fucking great i mean it had a little bit of a, an invasion of the body snatchers kind of under theme there too it was there there were some creepier moments yeah and where, that's where you know for a while you especially when the kid when the kid's in the house and the kid refuses to eat and his, and his family is all trying to you know like to get him to do it. He's like, no, oh, no, right? Because it's taking over his family, and that's a trope you see repeated just throughout, and in in many many different genres, like fucking Star Trek: The Next Generation used that exact same trope with uh, the episode "The Game." Yes, the um, with the the little fly the little things in the holes. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, there was a lot of amazing stuff in this film. That they just kind of buried. Because they wanted to make it a straight horror film. And I don't know, but for me, I don't know about you guys, but for me, whenever you mix in a good amount of levity in with your horror, it makes the horror that much better. Oh, absolutely. Because you, 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 if you, as long as you find that, that necessary balance between the two, and then you, yeah. you don't get so overwrought, and then you allow people to kind of laugh through the, the, the tighter moments because you have comedic areas to fall back on. And it reminds me, it, this one, as much as I love this stuff, and I love Michael Moriarty. I loved him in this. I loved him in fucking Troll. He was great. Because um, <laughs> his name was Harry His name was Harry Potter in the Troll. Yeah. Uh, in Troll, which is, I, 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 could, I could go on for hours about that little fucking, uh, that conspiracy. But it reminds me very much of Joe Lynch's uh, Knights of Badastum, which is pretty much the same kind of thing that, that, that happened to this film as happened to that film. I was big time looking forward to Knights of Badastum. You know, LARP players all of a sudden facing off against a real demon. It was supposed to be good. Kurt Russell saw the final cut um, before the film release and said that it was... Be- Kurt Russell said it was better than Ghostbusters. 
That's what he saw. Wow. Wow. The movie that released was fucking bullshit. Yeah. It was still good. You still had Peter Dinklage. You had Ryan Quanton. You had J- uh, Jimmy Simpson, um, Summer Glau. You had you know lots of really good actors, a lot of talent, decent effects. But E1 Entertainment literally hack and slash the film to, to basically cater to the lowest common denominator. And severely hurt it. And if you watch the trailer, you'll see stuff in the trailer that did that was not in the movie. It's like what the fuck? Yeah. So apparently it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be longer. It was gorier. It was more violent. There was more depth to the characters. Nobody was so one note. But that's what happens when the studio takes that power from you. And there is apparently a Joe Lynch cut out there somewhere of Knights of Badassdom. I hope to see it one day. I'm sure it'll but, surface. Uh, but we see that shit. Fucking studio. You know, studios get you know, studios called for pass interference when the director delivers in a particular vision and it's either money or either they don't have faith, but most likely they're just siding with the money. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've always understood the business side of it. You know, they want to make sure that it's going to sell. But you let the director, you let the, the cast, you let the story sell the movie. You do. You have you have to trust because the thing with the thing with studio execs is that they're businessmen. They're not they're not filmmakers, right? And so all they all they look is like dollar signs. Except they don't dive into what makes a movie better than another movie in terms of an artistic standpoint. Why does this movie sell and this movie didn't? They're just looking at dollar signs, right? And so they want to go, you know. Uh, for example, Alien versus Predator. Oh, Jesus. The first the first cut of the film was two hours. And they're like, well, we want a 90-minute runtime because we can get more screenings in during the day. Yeah. And so the yeah. director was like, wait, wait, what? He's like, yeah, you need to cut 30 minutes out of your film. Yeah. Oh, 30, and this is final cut yeah. locked and, and then cut 30 minutes on right. top of that. And that's the reason so, why that film seems so disjointed. And oh, that's that, that was and that was exactly it because in an interview afterwards, they're like, well, we noticed that the face huggers latching on the people. And then like the next scene, you have full grown aliens. And he was like, well, in my version of it, you actually see the aliens grow up in size. Yeah. Silly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of uh what was um the, uh, another one, the Warcraft film. Uh, Cause I'm a huge, uh, most yeah, our listeners know I'm a giant world of Warcraft player. Wasn't that, uh, um, who was that? Uh, you bowl or something. Uh-huh. Who, who did that one? Who did the work? Uh, no, 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 not the you, not the UA Bowl one. The, oh, okay. no, no, the name no, of the no, king. No, yeah, no, not that one. No, no, no. no uh, that was um, uh, director of director of Moon and Mute. Um, Duncan Jones. That okay, was, uh, okay, director, okay. Duncan Jones okay. handled that. But the movie that we got, well, I well, I really enjoyed. I well, actually, I enjoyed the movie in like super IMAX 3D extravaganza explosion. Right. It looked really fucking amazing. It was fantastic. I got to see World of Warcraft on the screen. I saw it in the super ultra IMAX thing. I saw it in 3D and then I saw it in standard in standard form because I brought friends to go see the movie. So I actually saw it three times in theaters. And nerd. It was and, and, I, yeah, <laughs> and the day it released on DVD on Blu-ray, I bought it then too. So, but um, the biggest problem, the biggest problem there was that what Duncan Jones said is that he had you could see his vision was brilliant right. in making the movie, but he said it was death from a thousand cuts. It was like everybody had their little fucking egos and their little fucking inputs. Everybody, you know, there were people from Blizzard, there were people from Legendary, there were people, you know, from all over the place right. that just just nickel and nickel and dimed the production 
to the point where Duncan was just like, God, fuck it. Just get the goddamn thing done. Right. And it and it shows, unfortunately, because apparently what he originally had in mind was much, much, much better. But it, that happens on occasion. It reminds me of a joke. One of my favorite jokes from when I was when I was in film school. So there's a director, a writer and a producer all stuck in the desert. They've been wandering for days. And they think they're going to die. They're out of water. They're out of food. Their clothes are tattered. They're they're just burnt by the sun. And just as they cross over one, there's one last dune. They spot an oasis. And the director and the writer just oh, they freak out and they rush down the dune. And they and they run to the oasis and they jump in and it, it's there. There's water there. They're drinking the water. They're splashing around. They're thinking they're thinking the they're lucky stars that they're saved. It's like oh, thank God. And they look around and they don't see the producer anywhere. But after a few minutes, they they, they discover him. And he's pissing in the oasis. <laughs> and the director and the writer are like, what the fuck are you doing? And the producer's like, making it better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is. Must have been. That, that must is, have been Steven Spielberg. That is it. <laughs> A shorter version of that one is a director and a producer are walking down Hollywood Boulevard and they're discussing their latest project. And right as they're in the middle of a, in the, in their conversation, this this incredible woman just just splits right between them, just walking the way. Doesn't pay any. She knows she rules the world. Okay? She is just legs for days, absolutely stunning, gorgeous, total bombshell. Both of them stop and turn and go, oh. And the, and the producer's like, God damn, I would like to fuck her. And the director's like, out of what? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. That I mean, that's true. It, trust studio execs out there, producers. Trust your director, because also, or don't the hire them. Does, if the movie does suck, the producer go. Well, I trust the director. <laughs> I was hands off the entire time. <laughs> this yeah. is the reason big budget films have insurance. Yes. If you yeah. legitimately think that people are going to put a hundred million dollars down with no goddamn insurance, yeah. you're out of your mind. Yeah. Yeah. Well, people even- talk about people talk about well, this movie made lot. This movie lost Paramount all this money. No, the fuck it didn't. Paramount didn't lose a goddamn penny on any one of them movies. Not a the single thing, fucking the only penny. Thing it hurts, yeah, the only thing that hurts them in the long run is that is that the people who generate the scripts and the people who want to, who want to do the productions may not go to Paramount in the future. Right. Yeah. Because right. It's a, at Warner Brothers is really doing really doing innovative things over here, and they've had like six, seven successes. I right. think I'm going to I'll go to you Warner Brothers, or I'll go to Universal. Or maybe I'll just go independent because Paramount, they're just really there seems to be a lot of uh, mismanagement and a lot of lack of focus up there, uh, you know, up there in the offices. I really don't want to deal with that shit. That's what that turns into. So for sure. But one bad film, even 10 bad films out of a studio, it doesn't break them. This is true. Oh, yeah, this is this is. But I like I like Blumhouse and a 24 approach now, where is instead of financing one hundred million dollar film, let's finance 10, 10 million dollar films. Yeah. And if six of them, if six of them turn a profit, then you've already made all your money back. Plus some. Yep. That was a big thing about about Jason Blum is is that he the projects he put together when they first started out, the smaller straight horror movies they're putting together. Is that it, I've read in interviews that he that above all 
he trusted his people to 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 produce these things. He didn't stick his nose in there. He didn't try to try to make it better. The people that he hired, he implicitly trusted. And through that implicit trust, Mm -hmm. he was able to build Blumhouse into the empire that it is today. And And it's still growing. That's the thing. If you do your if you do your due diligence as a producer or as a film studio and you properly vet, hey, look, I know this guy. I like what I like his storytelling. Okay, cool. Then let him tell the story. I will because I've I've done my research on him. I know I know what he's going to do. Yep. You don't have to worry about that shit. You, you, you don't, don't. You don't run into situations where you are unsure if your movie is a fucking horror or a comedy, <laughs> <laughs> or both, or both, or exactly. You know, exactly. And I know we've been talking about studio involvement here and there, and coming back to the stuff how the studio wanted the horror film, and you want to add some satire in it. I want to ask the audience. Let us know. Do you think this movie is an actual straight horror movie or is it a comedy or maybe it's a combination of the both? Let us know in the comments below. Yeah, I guess that means that uh, we're going to be moving on to the next film. Uh, yeah, actually, um, <laughs> this one this one doesn't deal with quite as uh, this one doesn't deal with quite as much of the fun stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, mm-hmm. uh-huh. but there but, is a uh, there are creamy centers to this next film. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah okay okay johnny all right go go what's our next film all right our next film came out june 17th 1975 it was about mutating flying cockroaches um uh, mimic no i'm kidding it's bug <laughs> <laughs> speaking of mira savino <laughs> speaking of mira savino yeah there we are bringing it back uh, no, it's see uh, what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's Bug. Bug, the 1975 American horror film. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see here. It was directed by some Schwark. <laughs> We're going to call him Jeno Schwark. I think that's <laughs> Swedish. I can't really tell. I find all the best. You do. Sorry. Look at this. Uh, starring Bradford Dillon, uh, Joanne Miles, Alan Fudge. Uh, yeah. Let's see here. Plot summary. Man, you know, this movie is about bugs. Get the... I mean, it's... uh, All right, so we have an earthquake. Uh, Releases a bunch of mutant cockroaches. Um, And (laughs) the funniest part about it is they can create fire by rubbing their Cersei together. Now, people who don't know what Cersei are, you'll have to look that up because uh, this is not a science show. This is a horror show. Uh, But... (laughs) Just know the cockroaches... Can rub shit together and make fire. Yep, that's that's the important part. <laughs> what was it when you were running the field or they're in the field? You see like a fire start going off, like from the bushes. <laughs> uh, it's always cockroaches. Cockroaches <laughs> fuck everything up. Uh, most of the bugs die because they can't survive in a low air pressure on Earth. But some stupid ass scientist, as scientists do, uh, that would be Dillman. He grabs a couple of them um, and then breeds them with a modern cockroach. And now because of this idiot, we have the uh, New York cockroach. I'm sorry. A <laughs> intelligent <laughs> flying super cockroach, also known as a modern warfare cockroach. <laughs> I love the, I love the film um, for a number of reasons. It, okay. Number one, classics, there's classic, Cool horror. Yes. 1975, 
They're not shooting for the moon on this one. We're going to make a horror movie, and it's going to be about bugs because bugs creep people the fuck out, especially cockroaches. Yes. And if you give the cockroaches mm-hmm. superpowers, that makes it even better. Yes. So I love that. This, I, I love films like this for their simplicity. That it may be formulaic. Some people may think it's for may, may it may feel formulaic, and it kind of has not at the time. Not in the seventies. It wasn't formulaic. Well, I mean, you have you have your first act, second act, third act. Well, sure. And then you have your gen- you have mm-hmm. there's, there's no major plot threads that go in different directions. There's no ambiguity. Sure, it's legit. It we is have our bad guy. Bad yeah. guy does something. Chaos ensues. Hero saves the day. I love the simplicity of films like this because it denotes a re- it denotes a very very good vision. And this is how you make movies. This is legit how you make movies. And then you select that one beautiful thing that makes people that makes people afraid but similar to like yeah. the, the blob or the thing, you know, the thing or, or it or something like this you find something that preys upon regular the, the natural fundamental fear yeah oh, absolutely I love, the, I love the creeping terror of insects yes because while insects are insects and many people can get can just you know oh they're insects you know whatever like this but they're particularly like spiders like arachnophobia or right. or kingdom of the spiders with you know great william shatner film or the Creo, or like this bug, where it's like it's fucking cockroaches. Or you know, everybody loves that scene in Creep Show in the third act in Creep Creep Show. Yes, when all the fucking cockroaches come out of the dude, and they make for fantastic horror villain. God, <laughs> the fuckers are crawling all over that girl's face, and I was like, God damn! Yeah, I would be fl- I'd be flipping out. I can handle a lot of shit, but I cockroaches are KOS for me. Really? So, Oh yes, I pick them up and throw them outside. I don't care. Oh, they, they, no, I can't. I can't do. I can't do roaches. The scene where they fly through the glass. <laughs> I was like, nope, <laughs> nope. I'm gonna have them remake that film in 3D just for you, Eugene. <laughs> and you know, and you know that Cameron stole that shit when he was doing Piranha Two. Of course. <laughs> oh, instead, instead of cockroaches, let's make them fucking piranha. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. piranha mate with flying fish. Now oh. the piranha can fly. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! I saw so many hallmarks to this one and this one, but I love I, I love doing that. Uh, the thing that icks people and then just making it really fucking gnarly. Oh yeah. Very very simple stuff. And hats off to all the actors in that for dealing with that shit. Yeah, because they used a shit ton of real live cockroaches. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, where he's like, oh, she's reaching for the door handle. Cockroach like falls like yep. as somebody drops it. And you know, the, the actors have to let it crawl on them and they're interacting with it. And it's just it's uh, uh, it, it does. It plays, on, but it does. It plays on people's like natural fears because it's I hate cockroaches. I, I do. I if a cockroach is flying at me, I will shoot at it with a gun. <laughs> I just straight up I don't care if there's a hole in the wall afterwards take your ground motherfucker <laughs> alright so uh, quick side note JL when the yeah. Ohio thing happens Eugene has to stay in the car <laughs> <laughs> I see something boom boom I hope you guys wanted a hole there <laughs> whoops my bad it's, it's only gonna be bad if we open up that door if we open up that door that Cassie doesn't want to open in that, in that old house and they just fucking flood out of there oh you know that's gonna happen right 
<laughs> you know they're going to be some oh, no. creepy crawlers. We have, to get, we have to get a camera for that. We have to yeah. set up the camera just in case. So in the film, it will just in the middle of the film, a cut, cut to, and people be like, who are these guys? Yeah, are these Why are they opening idiots? this? Oh, my God! <laughs> and then you never see us again in the rest of the film. There's our found footage uh, portion. <laughs> 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 oh, uh, by the way, this was based on the Hephaestus Plague, uh, 1973 novel by Thomas Page. Little it was, fun, it was. little fun fact for you. I also, didn't know that. Also, they reuse uh, this film reused sets from the Brady Bunch. <laughs> 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 the kid, the, the, the whole kitchen scene, that kitchen was what you know. Uh, they just they just did the, they just did a repaint job. That's but that kitchen great. was the the Brady Bunch kitchen, and they they moved some stuff around in the living room. But yeah, those those are the same sets they used for the sitcom. Oh man, here's a story. I'm a lovely cockroach. <laughs> a lovely roach. <laughs> All right, so but I, I I like I like playing on natural fears. Films like this, I know. Um, I just don't know have, if it's a natural ones. fear though. I think it's an I think it's a it's I think it's an unnatural fear to be afraid of something that is so tiny. Well, uh, no, it's, oh, I think it's the thing. It's thing about it that you know, cockroaches they 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 proliferate in filth. They're always in the dark. They prefer the dark to the light. There's just a natural thing to them that they you know, they they're disgusting. They're garbage. They're 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 necessary for the ecosystem. Yes, all you know, all these all these creatures are. But if, if you've never been sitting in the dark like I have one time, because yeah, you know, we're here in Texas, and Texas, oh, yeah. you know, there isn't a building in Texas that doesn't have roaches in it. But I have been sitting in the dark once. And oh, on my computer, did it do like this, da, 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 like that, and felt one tiny leg just <laughs> touch the back of my neck because one had crawled up on. It. I have had that happen. Yeah, fuck these motherfuckers. But I like that. That's what makes Fantastic Horror, whether it's cockroaches or it's spiders or sharks or snakes, um, you know, whatever heights. Yeah. You know, the, just the regular things that people fear yeah. always makes for fantastic horror. I, but I get snakes and sharks. Them motherfuckers can kill you. But cockroach, <laughs> <laughs> unless it's got, unless it has two little fire sticks, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> what if the cockroach can start fires? I mean, that's what I'm saying. You put a little black box in your house, and I do mean a little black box in your house. You don't have to worry about no cockroach anymore. But but bugs bugs have always had a long a long history. We're you know pretty soon we're going to talk about another one that came out in the 50s. Oh yeah. But then you also had like the what was it? There was another one, uh, the praying mantis. Um, you had kingdom, <laughs> uh, you had kingdom of the spiders. Yeah. You had um. Squirm was another good one from the seventies. Oh, was that the um, one with was, the with the with the worms? The mutated worms, yeah. yeah. And then they like get into the guy and turn him into a worm man yeah. or some shit. That was that was so head. bad. <laughs> <laughs> that movie was so bad. <laughs> it was bad. Yes. Uh, 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 the was another good one. I think was I uh, the the title of the film is is that's it. It's seven S's with an exclamation mark. <laughs> <laughs> so, but obviously a snake horror and then there was like I, I watched one the other day called mosquito man which was fucking weird <laughs> think of it like the fly but with a mosquito instead and yeah. then he turns into a fucking uh, humanoid mosquito That's... that like with like this fucking javelin for a uh, proboscis where he's just stabbing fucking people to death so does, does that mean he graduated <laughs> law school all right so speaking of bugs do bugs freak you out uh no i love bugs bugs are awesome or i want to kill 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 shoot him with a cannon like eugene do let us know 
I'm doing my part. <laughs> Are you? I'm doing my part. Would you like to know more? A little Stars and Trippers reference for you. <laughs> this is one of my favorite guilty pleasure movies of like all time. Uh, so Listen. yes, as I mentioned, we do have this next film. Uh, another one where we're going kind of like into the bugs, but we're going a little bit different. Released June 19th, 1954. We have the nuclear monster or them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I dig that I dig this genre. Um well them is not one of my is one of my favorites of the genre. I love the nuclear monster genre. All but the, the them, 50s, yeah. Uh, directed by Gordon Douglas and uh written by Ted Sherman and Russell Hughes, starring James Whitmore. Yes, James Whitmore from Shawshank Redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh James Whitmore, Edmund Gwen, Joan Weldon, and James Arness. Nice. Oh, guys, you guys know who that is, right? Fucking Matt and Marshall Mount Dillon. Oh, yeah. Gunsmoke. Yeah. Gunsmoke. Oh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Gunsmoke. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fuck yeah. And um, them was the first of the 1950s nuclear monster films and was the very first big bug feature. Mm hmm. When a uh, the pretty much the summary for those who have not seen it, this is one of the older films. Um, when a nest of gigantic irradiated ants is discovered in the New Mexico desert, yeah, New Mexico should mean something to you, uh, mm-hmm. nuclear fans out there. Mm-hmm. They quickly become a national threat when it's discovered that the queens and their consorts have escaped to establish new nests around the country, and then it turns into a giant battle to try and save the world from these giant ants, from these giant irradiated ants. So a fantastic entry. I'm glad that I love this being the start of the nuclear genre being 1954. Um, we know what happened in the late forties uh, or in the forties when, mm-hmm. uh, w- w- which would inspire this because obviously it would inspire other nuclear monsters like fucking uh, Godzilla and shit. But this gave birth to the nuclear monster genre here in America. Yeah. Cause at the time you have the world is changing because Atomic power was still new yep. at that point. People knew it was super powerful and that he emitted radiation, but people didn't know long-term effects of it, or at least in terms of like the common person didn't know that. You also start getting new technology like microwaves are being introduced, and it's just this, this thing that nukes your food and suddenly warms up. And obviously, horror horror filmmakers are going to take what is new and what is going on and starts transforming it. And that's why you start getting like the, the atomic horror movies, which usually has like a big creature. Like this is giant ants. And obviously probably the most famous one being Godzilla or mm-hmm. attack of the 50 foot woman right. or some of these, some of these others where it's like, what if radiation made something grow? And then all of a sudden we have to fight it and you get some, you get some, actually good pretty or pretty decent budget ones to some really bad ones i saw one it was it looked like the a carpet something like that that was an atomic or it was just a carpet that just ate people the rug that's the notion that's the notion i think when it when it got out to the public that while the the extreme long-term effects of this of radiation poisoning or what radiation what nuclear power could do or what nuclear radiation could do to, do to things that the word came out that it mutates things, yep. that it mutates DNA. And when you just say it, it changes DNA, the sky's the limit. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, de- definitely. Definitely. And it's just mutate to what? Obviously, for some reason, things got bigger. You didn't really see much of things get smaller. You know, a smaller cockroach. Is- <laughs> yeah, right. Well, we're good with that. Smaller. Okay, we're good with that. Unless they crawl yeah, they, in your ear. They, if they crawl they, in your they, ear, then we're, then we're not good. 
<laughs> but kind of you know kind of piggybacking onto uh taking the things that are they're that naturally frightening i don't know why people think ants are naturally frightening they only bite you whenever you step on them but no now you make them big they can step on you and then bite your head off yeah absolutely or bite you an app yeah that, bite that, you when that ant's got that got the um uh girl well who was it that that the ant grabbed oh you know, like that, that just that yeah. epic scene when she's like in his jaws and shit i just fucking love that yeah i mean this definitely uh, plays on the fears of the unknown. I mean, absolutely, this movie, horror as a cautionary tale. I don't know if I'm jumping the gun here, but uh, for certain, when we're talking about fears of the unknown, especially with technology, and uh, we just dropped bombs on on Japan a decade earlier, uh, and we're starting to see, you know, the, just the aftermath of that. And, and like Eugene was talking about with all the, you know, nuclear, well, we're going to nuke our food. You know, eat it, and then we're going to be molecularly changed. So, absolutely, yeah, definitely playing upon yeah. people's fears of the unknown. Yeah, because at this time period, it's you not only had the atomic detonations over at Nagasaki and Hiroshima, but the U.S. was openly experimenting. Yes, with nuclear detonations, the bombs are getting bigger yep. along with because we're this is the cold war in russia so you had like the bikini i was like the bikini island or bikini it's atoll island bikini atoll, yeah yeah that it was definitely the beginning of the cold war there. yeah and so every and everybody knows this testing is going on yes and basically the governments are picking spots like they actually with bikini atoll they just move the islanders off hey we're gonna seize your island we're gonna move them off and then drop a nuke on it yep yeah, that was the that I mean because what what Wes Craven did it as well. He took advantage of it with the with the radiated humans in the hills have eyes um, because those inbred cannibals, those mutated inbred cannibals, were living in New Mexico, and it was the fallout that created the monsters out of right. that. So, well, I mean, the, you, you see that 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 theme, that nuclear theme throughout. I mean, the hills have eyes. I mean, we talked about it briefly, talking about Night of the Living Dead was caused by some sort of nuclear fallout with a satellite or something that went oh, out. Oh yeah, it was a yeah some like radiation that came off of a off of a satellite that had crashed. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So people, I mean, they really were frightened about what this shit was going to do to you. And given given the effect of. Uh, you know, the, the when it gets out to the public that, and to, to you know, I'm not trying to give a, a history lesson to our listeners, but when you know that our scientists, when they dropped the bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, went, did not know 100% what was going to happen. Right. That there were there were theories that they could they could detonate this bomb, and the the particular one that they dropped, and it could ignite the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, the, the 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 level of damage and destruction it caused was unprecedented. Yes, there was no scale to ascertain exactly what the fuck was going to happen. Right, right. So when you hear about scientists playing with, literally playing with fire that they cannot control, with unknown circumstances, unknown variables, and unknown consequences, and you know you 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 do this, and then you have the effects that that we then saw in Japan. It took them decades to completely rebuild mm-hmm. and they've never been the same since no. that happened although we, they you know, do make we the best... altered the the course of that country yes. by doing what we did when you see the effects of this you can apply the, the the applicability of that to the horror genre obviously works in so many different ways and i also love it because it kind of it makes it, it makes a it makes a villain out of government yes you know the, yeah. the faceless entity that presides over all of us. 
Yes, although I do have to say that it did give birth to that uh, that uh, anti-science movement that we deal with on a daily basis there, JL. Very true. Very true. So they're a bunch of bastards. <laughs> they blew it all up. It's their fault. Damn, Damn you all hell. <laughs> Damn dirty apes. Yes. <laughs> And that's another one. And see, that's another one that kind of plays off of that fear of uh, the ultimate power, ultimate destruction. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Because the human race is gone at that point. Yep. And they killed them. They killed each other. That's why the uh, honestly, I really dig. I really I've always that's why I love the nuclear monster genre, whether it's, you know, like Beast from was it Beast from 4000 Fathoms? Yep. Um, Just all, you know, stuff like that. Playing with that, and I uh, I, I honestly wish, because I was born in 1980, and I honestly wish that I had been able to be, you know, to go to theaters and see these kinds of films, for you know, firsthand, you know, to see, and, you know, because at the time, we weren't as educated as we are now, and while being highly educated, being a filmmaker, being aware of special effects and visual effects mediums, it does take a little bit of the the kind of shine off of what you see because you say, "Oh, I can see how they did that," or "Oh, that's really cool." But yeah. you, you know, it's you know the technical aspects of the of the film. But being in 1954, being a part of the nuclear, you know, the, the the burgeoning nuclear family, and then this unknown science that they're playing that they're playing with nuclear power to them in the 1950s was as the Large Hadron Collider today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. and even then we're beginning to understand the Large Hadron Collider. So maybe uh, planet colonization. Who knows? Well, yeah. You know, so if you look at if you look at like scary stuff that's going around there, a lot of it was very space oriented. Uh, even with like something as simple as gravity or uh, the Martian or Interstellar. I mean, there were some horror ish elements in there, some scarier elements in there about the unknown. People take advantage of uh, of technology and use that in ways to kind of manipulate film. Or film manipulates people's fear in that stuff in a way to make it entertaining. And 1954, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, like I said, I'm not a history buff, but this is on the eve or at the beginning of Korea. Um, this, uh, was, this is after Korea. Yeah, this, I think Korea was 1950 to 1953. Yeah, this was right after Korea and right before Vietnam. And right before Vietnam. Yeah. So we just so we just been through. So we got nuclear Armageddon. We got nuclear yep. scariness off of World War II. <laughs> We just came out of Korea, which was a fucking insane. Yes. And tensions are ramping up uh, to, to head to Vietnam. Yep. Not not and, to mention the fact that the Vietnam tensions that were ramping up were because of the Cold War tensions that were ramping up with fucking Russia and all with Russia and all that shit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And then the arms race and the space race. Yes. Yes. A lot of they uh, such a uh, with so much uncertainty. It makes for fantastic. That's what I. That's the only good thing. And I'm actually going to bring this around to today, is that the uncertainty of the 50s and the 60s, because there was this. Of the, I would say of the late 40s to the uh, to the to the 70s, there was an air of uncertainty. America's constantly fighting overseas. We got people. We got soldiers dropping like flies in wars that, that are generally unpopular and unsupported. We have the shadowy communists. We have McCarthyism. We have the Red Scare. We've got all this fucking craziness. We have scientists doing shit that we don't fucking understand, and people are dying all over the place, and who knows if they're going to blow up the planet, and the government's not telling us anything. You have all of these things creating this 
this uh this overwhelming sense of uncertainty mm-hmm. about the world and from that was born multiple genres of horror films that that just that the this uncertainty allowed people to play with that kind of with that kind of terror and i love and i will say that it gave birth to that and i'll bring this around today the uncertainty that we live in today the only good thing that will come out that will uh, one of the good things i hope will come out of this is those who are creative will be able to generate new and more engaging art hopefully cinema that will grab people's attention and will give birth to maybe maybe even new genres who knows well yeah for certain yeah absolutely and you look at a you look at a country's culture through its art what mm-hmm. what they produce what is important to them what message or what values are important to yep. them yep you always go to art on that you always and art has always been something like especially with film where you actually can create characters that people care about and then you can take your whatever issue you want to talk about have it affect these characters and also people go oh that's what it's like right yeah not that that is any any bit of relevance for what's going on today at all <laughs> well, yeah, and I look forward to what to what it will generate. The, yes, the, absolutely. The young minds that the young minds are there today can take this uncertainty, just like the young minds of the '40s and the '50s and the '60s. You know, a young George Romero yep. who came up with Night of the Living Dead, um, a young Wes Craven who came up with The Hills Have Eyes. Who's it, and it's not who's going to be the next one. But who will be? Who will come up with the next idea? born out of the uncertainty of 2020 well so uh you've got uh we've got what's his name um oh god from key and peel jordan peel oh yeah jordan yeah, peel yeah, yeah. his his filmmaking is his horror films are fantastic oh, oh really, absolutely I really love get out um yeah. us i loved until the credits rolled and i started thinking about it really <laughs> you didn't like us it, no, no, I loved us. I loved watching it. It was engaging. It, it, it gripped me from the very start. And I loved it all the way through. But once the credits started rolling, I was like, because I always go back and I, and I think about the films that I watch. I watch them multiple times. Oh, yeah. And I watched that movie. It was like, this is really fucking good. Oh, my God. This is great. And then I started thinking about it. I was like, whoa, plot holes for days. I could just drive trucks through these plot holes. Hey, stop so, stealing my name. <laughs> but i could oh and sure. while i still love it visually the film was amazing right the cinematography the the whoever was behind the camera the just everything technically was beautifully done yes story-wise it, uh, it kind of fell flat especially after especially after such after a freshman debut as get out right mm. yeah I mean, if but I am looking forward to I am looking forward to Lovecraft to Lovecraft uh, Country or Lovecraft County, yeah, which is a series coming to HBO, which he is behind, which is based on the based on the novel um, about about basically about this uh, this young black man searching for his father in Jim Crow era the South. Yeah. Oh, interesting. And, and encounters not only the hostilities of the South at the time, but also monsters from Lovecraft. Well, that's fun. Oh, that's going to be interesting. Yeah, the, the book is really good, and I've seen it. the trailer is on YouTube. You can definitely check it out. But Lovecraft County, uh, kind of that's that's uh, produced by Jordan Peele. The guy's got vision. Oh, he you does. Know, I wouldn't, yeah. expect, I wouldn't oh, expect. 
I wouldn't expect the dude who's one of the church ladies on Key on Key and Peel <laughs> or or the local member of the gang. Yeah. I wouldn't expect that dude to be churning out the shit that he's churning out, but you mean he goes Timothy? to dark places. You're talking about Timothy, right? Timothy <laughs> 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 Present. No, it's Prezant. <laughs> I fucking love you. I fucking love the stuff that he's putting out. Um I really enjoy the Twilight Zone. He goes, I I dig it. Um, is he a part of the? Is he a part of the new creep show? I can't remember. Uh, I don't know if he's producing. Yeah, it. He's produ- is he? I don't know. I have to check. That I'd out. have to check that out. I yeah, thought I heard his name behind because I, I yeah. know it's over on. Where's it? Is that over it's on, on Shutter? Uh, Spike. It's on Shutter. Shutter. That's it. Shutter. Yeah. That's right. And they just got a new season. Shutter did. Uh. No, no, no. The I know, I'm, fucking, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I, did like, I did like the first one because we got to see Adrian Barbeau come back and just, you know, horror stables. I love seeing them all together. Yeah. And that, the, the bad beer uh, one. <clears throat> so, but yeah, uh, that brings to going back to our uh, going back to nuclear monsters. I want to ask the audience, what is your favorite nuclear monster in any genre, any film? Doesn't matter to me. Uh, whether it's the American, whether it's the American side, whether it's the uh, anything out of Japan or China, there are many to choose from. Let us know. I'd love to hear what you think. Weekendhorror at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your answers so we can read them out on the next episode. Yes. Let us know. Mm-hmm. All right. We have got one more awesome film to talk about. And Eugene's going to give it to us. Give it to us, Eugene. Yeah. Yes. Yes, <laughs> one of my favorite films of all time, one one of the best ever, uh, came out June twentieth, nineteen seventy five. That is the original Jaws. Fuck yeah! Yeah, yeah. yeah. Starring starring War Schneider Scheider. I know I'm Roy, Roy, Roy Scheider. Yeah, Roy Scheider. Robert Shaw. Do let him let him fail. And Lorraine Gary, directed <laughs> by the great Steven Spielberg. And basically, I'm assuming just about everybody who's ever seen a movie has seen this, but just in case you have never heard of Jaws, you have a shark that terrorizes a small town right before, I was thinking it was July 4th weekend. Yep. Or yep. Was, yeah, well, right before July 4th weekend. Where they want to ha- open up their beaches and have a huge celebration because a huge tourist day, but a shark likes eating people in the water because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. he, you know, doesn't want to take them on land. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where have I, where have I heard that before? That opening early could be dangerous. Huh. Mm. No, no, no. There seems to be a parallel there. I, mm. I don't know what it is. <laughs> mm. yeah. You forgot. You forgot the probably the second biggest. Um, piece of involvement of jaws with uh john williams oh yeah my goodness yes and the I, and iconic I give, and i want to give a shout because uh the, this was based off the book by peter benchley yep and the book you know, the book the, the novel jaws by peter benchley who also was brought on to co-write the screenplay yep. and he wrote that with carl gottlieb uh, and having your having the original author in always makes you know you always have a a good shot at getting a very solid screenplay when the guy's adapting his own work. Exactly. I mean, so Jaws in the, what was it? 75? God, 
bless America, that movie's old. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> you want to talk about a film that did more for the film genre. I mean, this this was the original summer blockbuster. Uh, the I mean, good God. Everybody, you went to see this film in 1975. Um, it killed it killed the beach uh, beaches for multiple reasons. People don't want to go swimming in the beach for the longest time, but they wanted to watch a film about a shark who ate people. What are you going to do? Shot they shot this budget for a budget of nine million. Well, nine million in nineteen seventy five, and this fucker grossed four hundred and seventy million dollars. Yeah, that's and keep in mind it was over budget. It wasn't supposed to cost nine million. It was supposed to cost like three, two or three, and it went <laughs> mad. Oh, and so the production of Jaws. It, they had a lot of issues the with Bruce. it. They were massively over budget and. The other, like other um, directing opportunities that were lined up for Spielberg, they actually went to other people because they thought if Jaws flopped, that it would end Spielberg's career. Little did they know. Little did they Johnny, know, Johnny. That fucking that fucking shark didn't work most of the time. From what no, I, from what they I had remember. four four or five different uh, iterations of Bruce, and it always fucked up. It almost killed people. Like legitimately, almost electrocuted some people. Uh, yeah, Bruce was a bitch, and that and that's why when you had when they like they wrapped it and Spielberg and the editor Verna Fields they're sitting there in post production and Verna turns to Spielberg and is like, "Your shark looks like shit. We can't show this." Spielberg's like, "No, no, 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 no. We have to show the shark." She's like, "No, it looks like shit. People will laugh if you put it on the screen." And Spielberg was insistent on showing the shark. So Verna actually went straight to the studio over Spielberg's head. And the studio agreed with Verna. Yeah. And Verna cut out the shark. And then when it debuted, people were like, we love the fact we don't see the shark. And Spielberg eventually apologized. Yeah. I mean, oh, it was it was a good idea to show the shark as little as possible because it made the shark much more frightening when you don't, you, you know, when you don't have a face to the killer. That makes you the viewer or you the consumer of the medium. You have to you have to create the face, which makes it much more frightening. Oh yeah, because well, I mean the nature of being attacked by a shark. You I know, mean, you, yeah, just that in general. Coming. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, you don't see it coming. You're in the water. You get hit. Stop. You know, most of the times. Now, I've I've been in the water and I've seen sharks. Uh, my father had a scary incident. You know, he when he when he was living in Florida, he was out surfing when he was a teenager, and his surfboard got bumped by a shark. Um, right. It's you. You don't see it coming. Yeah. The, so everybody that, that who's opening, ever. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was that that opening moment when the girl is out there skinny dipping, and it's not. It's not like boom and she's gone. It was that first hit. Uh, and she and just her reaction. Right. Is so visceral. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So two and, things. Yeah. Two things. That I'm going to riff on what you just said there. A. We talked to anybody who's ever been bit by a shark. They didn't know they were bitten by a shark until much later. They said, well, I just feel like I got, you know, bumped into. It wasn't until I looked down and saw that I was fucking swimming in my own blood that I realized I got bit, you know. Uh, and then Bruce was a little bitch, shouldn't play with his food, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, did, I did hear, I think uh, it was in the behind the scenes that they were talking about part of the production that they had the, that they had the production company had set up loudspeakers around the island where they were shooting. And I think they were shooting off Martha's Vineyard. Uh, I think so, yeah. 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 And so they had said along the beach, they had set up loudspeakers because the shark was so problematic that 
you know, when they were trying to get it work that all the actors would just fucking stand around doing nothing. But it's the beach. They're there at the beach, you know, like that. So people would just they they'd grab their chairs, they'd lay out, they'd, like they'd be chilling on the beach, and they had loudspeakers set up to announce to everybody who wasn't working on the shark. It was like, attention, the shark is not working. The shark is not working. Stay with us, uh, or you know, uh, stay you know, stay around, or you know, uh, further news coming in until eventually everyone would get excited because you'd hear it come over the loudspeaker. Attention. The shark is working. <laughs> Report to set immediately. <laughs> oh man, that bastard Bruce! <laughs> had to be. That had to been a lot of fun. And of course, nobody can anticipate. Yeah, you know, obviously, nobody can anticipate the blockbuster that it became. That be that it became, and the fact that Spielberg, without obviously without intention, had basically did, you know invented the summer tentpole. Oh yeah, where the studios would go for that for that uh, summer tentpole film in order to take them from uh, you know you basically because we know that we we've spoken before on this uh, podcast about the um, the kind of there's two dead zones two kind of dead periods. Um, oh god, I've forgotten the term for it. Eugene, remind me. Um, they're the not the shelf film. Um, it's that that that, that air the time in February and then the time in September. Yeah, it's like dump season, something dump like season. that. that yeah, dump season. season. I can't believe I, I blanked on that. But the summer tentpole is what gets you uh, going through the next dump season, and then you have your then you have your winter catalog. But you need to get through the dump seasons because the dump seasons are several months long when nothing really performs. So if you come out of a dump season and you don't have shit to tentpole you to the next dump season, that next dump season could kill your production company. And Spielberg himself invented the summer tentpole, and that has been standard throughout. Um, but of course, how this film affected real life, because obviously, you know, just when you thought, oh, you know, people would, you know, people wouldn't go to the beach, especially when they found out that it was based on an actual occurrence. Right. Yeah. I mean, it 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 killed it killed some beach, especially in. Um, oh God. It happens. This is about the time that it happens to me where my brain turns to mush. Where the hell is this film? <laughs> God, I can't. Th- I can't think of the of the area that it's supposed to be based in. Golly. Oh, mm. I can't. It I actually, it was, took like Florida place. or something like that. Right? Uh, no. Oh, Am- no, Amity no. Island. It was Amity Island was designed to be kind of like a Martha's Vineyard type place. Well, yeah, but I thought it was, it was supposed to took place in it was Amity Island was supposed to be in uh, South Carolina, right? Was it South Carolina? I think so. Beaches in South Carolina. I can't remember. I can't. I can't remember either. Let's see here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's supposed to be based off uh, beaches in South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay. Okay. And they did see that, if I remember correctly, uh, they did see a massive decline in uh, beachgoers that summer because people were scared. Yeah, because for the most for the most part, sharks don't really attack people very often. Um, shark attacks are rare, and you have millions upon millions of people who go to the beach and have just no issue at all whatsoever because sharks really don't like people yeah but just this movie alone people are like well i don't risk it shark can't bite me if i'm in if i'm not in the water see there's never been a truer statement 
Okay. <laughs> if I don't go swimming where sharks could be, I'm not going to get bit by a shark. <laughs> because it is that fear, though, when you're in the water, the shark has every advantage. Yep. It is faster than you. It can smell you. And it can smell you over, over across a long distance, right. too. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're you're just you're not going to swim faster than a shark. You're just not. It's it's just more agile. It's faster. It's a creature that hasn't changed in like six hundred million years. Yeah. Unless you're Thomas Jane. To. If you're Thomas Jane, then you can outswim a shark. Yeah, unless you're Thomas Jane. <laughs> 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 or LL Cool J, who was already who'd already been bitten. This definitely Jaws definitely goes into the realm of of those of those unique horror movies that yes. had a profound effect on pretty much the way people live their lives. Um, you know, the, like uh, the uh, I would say films that made you afraid to go camping, uh, like Friday the Thirteenth. Yep. You know, being out there in the woods, um, or, or a movie like uh, you know, obviously Jaws. You know, people afraid to go to the beach. Things that made you afraid of things that you took for granted. Yep. I really, really like those and the ripple effects that they that they have across the board. It's always so much fun to see, you know, to or to try and predict who's go, uh, whose stock is going to tank, <laughs> given the effect of a horror film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean, it just it shows you the power of cinema, like just mm-hmm. as a whole, where you have one movie that can tank an entire industry. Yep. Like that's powerful. That is extremely powerful. It's either so use your art responsibly. Well, yeah, so it's either powerful or people are just stupid. One of the two. Uh, either way, it's powerful. It's just easier to be powerful <laughs> than stupid. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's definitely with a way that uh with good storytelling, right? Jaws tells you that good storytelling can overcome a shitty looking shark, bad production, or not bad production, but uh, a difficult production. Uh, good storytelling can overcome all that and still produce a very effective um, film. And well, we've we've talked about it before with Spielberg. Is one one of the things Spielberg has always been good at is crafting good characters. Because we talked about uh, with Poltergeist, I think a couple of episodes ago. Even though Toby Hooper directed it, we all know Spielberg directed Spielberg that. directed it. Yeah, yeah, but. Spielberg creates great complex characters that you mm-hmm. root for because even um, the boat owner who was crazy and by all sense, like, okay, I'm not really supposed to like this guy, but then you end up kind of liking him anyway because he, yeah, he's done some questionable things, but he wasn't a bad guy. Talking about you talking about uh, Robert Shaw's Quint, right? Quint, yeah. yeah, Quint, yeah, Quint. I love the fact that that during the during the drinking scene when they were all just ch- you know, chatting on the on the boat at night, yep, that he was he was three sheets to the fucking wind. Oh yeah, that he that he legit <laughs> got drunk off his ass. Yeah, that wasn't acting. <laughs> well, Robert Shaw, Robert Shaw's a fucking legend, but uh, the combination of the three of Roy Scheider, um. Richard, Richard Dreyfus, obviously, you know, coming off of Close Encounters, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, and or the, the, the thing that would be after, yeah, he would later use him in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Right. But Richard Dreyfus, legendary actor, Roy Scheider, also fantastic, and then of course legendary Robert Shaw, and basically letting these three guys be, you know, put them in a small space, 
give him a giant shark to hunt and just letting him go wild. The the one fisherman and the, the one marine biologist and the guy who has no fucking business being on the water. Yeah. And see, there you go. And that, that's what good storytelling does, right? So good storytelling and when you create characters that people give a shit about, it may, it allows you, it lets you overlook the real, why the fuck is he there? Like, why the fuck did Ripley go back? Boy, they didn't need her. She could have done everything. She told him everything and she, they, she could tell him. She didn't need to go back, but we we're invested in these characters. That's what good storytelling does. Yeah, that's that's true. That is. And now, obviously, this spawned a franchise, and there was actually quite a few Jaws movies that came out because you get a blockbuster. Of course, they're going to make sequels. Right. And and I actually I want to ask the audience, what is your favorite Jaws entry? I know personally mine is the first one, but the second one is good also. I actually like the I like the second one better than the first. Um, I love the good oh, because of the characterization. I loved Roy Scheider, even though Roy Scheider only returned for the second one because of a contract dispute that, to settle a contract dispute with Universal. Um, he still gave his all like a total fucking professional, and I loved the I you know he's in the shit again. So it was kind of like it had a, it was kind of like Die Hard too. You know, it's like, God mm-hmm. damn it, another fucking giant shark. Mm-hmm. But I killed the last one. I'm going to fucking kill this one, especially now that my kid's involved. So mm-hmm. I'm just surprised they didn't have one like a machine gun. <laughs> <laughs> I love the fact that I, I love I loved it. That was the best part. You know, even though the effects still weren't fantastic of the giant shark, the scene where they set it on fire and then it comes up there and, bite, and then gets electrocuted on the uh, on the cable on the on the underwater electrical cable yep. that shit was fantastic that was that was inspired i love that uh my favorite is jaws 3d at me yep yep <laughs> <laughs> oh man so we're over here having a good time and you guys give me this wonderful wonderful in memorandum oh my god See what happens when your brain turns to mush. <laughs> you can't say yes, the word. We do, have a, we do have a couple of things that, that we're that we're going to look back on. Uh, and yeah, we are kicking off on the in memoriam. Yeah, that's the word I was looking for. In memoriam, Herschel Gordon Lewis, born June fifteenth, nineteen twenty nine, and left us September twenty sixth of twenty sixteen. Now, this guy, if you enjoy the splatter genre of horror film or exploitation film. Uh, this is the reason why. Yeah, he is he is a legend in hitting that that late sixties, early seventies films that just took that took that genre and he just ran with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it, I think there was a the best quote I heard that summed up pretty much what he does that he was a, that Gordon Lewis was a pioneer that who went farther than anyone else dared. Oh yeah, probing the depths of disgust and discomfort on screen with more bad taste and imagination than anyone of his era. Working, I mean, the the cat worked in exploitation films, in juvenile delinquent films, nudie cuties, uh, you name it. It was anything he could do to push the limits of what of what the of what audience accepted at the time. Oh yeah, Uh, we wouldn't have a Cronenberg if it wasn't for. Gordon Lewis. Well, this yeah, so many. I mean, just think of any exploitation 
type film uh blood and guts we would slasher genre wouldn't be what it is today without without his influence yep absolutely because we one of the things about the slasher genre what do we want we want the kills yeah we want the blood and the kills and then friday the 13th went and just didn't do it there's a lot of off screen and no blood what the hell he really i mean he blew people's minds it was uh, what year was it, it was 63 that he came with it with blood feast uh yeah yeah 63 and that just the, the level of gore in that just blew people's minds mm-hmm. oh yeah yeah good lord i want to know what the blood blood budget was <laughs> more than Wes Craven spent on Nightmare on Elm Street. Probably, yeah. Oh yeah, and that's that's saying Damn. something because there was a vomiting blood bed, blood bed. So, but look, yeah, just looking at the stuff that they you you can tell with movies like The Wizard of Gore, um, and his Blood Feast series, Blood Feast and Blood Feast Two, All You Can Eat, mm-hmm. uh, which was it came out you know, years later. Um, there was some stuff that he did. Uh, he even did a uh, porno, Black Love. So yeah, um, I was gonna say that he went from porn to children's films to just buckets of blood. In all of these films, you can tell it, anything in there. You can see where the 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 ones that like, like individuals like like Fulci or Cronenberg or even you know even Cunningham or the or uh, Carpenter. You can see yeah. the things that they took, the inspirations. Throughout, you go back and watch his old filmography. So the, all the crazies, uh, the craziness that he put out there, little tidbits that inspired or informed the filmmakers that would come after him. You can see, ah, oh, I see where they, he got that, that inspiration came from. It's amazing to see the the widespread effect that he had on the, on the entire industry. Yeah, because you had this was right before the video nasty era. Mm-hmm. So you got all those you have all those directors who, as they're learning filmmaking, were watching his films, Blast Off Girls, uh, How to Make a Doll, and just all right, I see where he's going. I understand why I like this, and then I want to carry it forward. <laughs> I got to give a show, personal shout out to to his to his sixty three film Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Yeah. Spelled. I, yeah, I was actually just looking at that one. Nothing, it, to our listeners, it has nothing to do with the fairy tale. Nope. And is pretty much the first nudist musical. Yep. <laughs> Three bears. Spelled the fucking B-A-R-E-S. places that this guy's mind went. Oh, you could do Clive Barker ate this guy's, you know, everything he put up you could see it you could see it in clive barker's work both his novels and his yes movies. that's exactly where i was going to go with this that that one of my favorite um film series horror film series being hellraiser clive barker you can tell that he took a lot of this exploitation style i mean just look at the fucking hellraiser look at the cenobites yeah, yeah. oh yeah <laughs> But definitely, we wouldn't have many of the things that we have today. Things that he, uh, like the absolute craziness that he brought. Um, very similar to, there was another uh, uh, guy, I remember his first name, um, Jess. He was a Span- he was a Spanish director uh, who kind of did the same thing. You know, exploitation films, a bit of pornography. Uh, good Lord, Jess, something, I can't remember his last name. I'll remember it eventually. But he was also... You know, it, I see kind of a parallel between the two of their careers, although Lewis came before him. Um, but the fact that, you know, we wouldn't have any of the, any of the, the righteous, you know, everything from Friday the 13th to event horizon. 
we wouldn't have it if it weren't for Herschel Gordon Lewis. Right. Well, definitely. I'm gonna I'm gonna debate you on Event Horizon one of these days and how it's not as bloody as people think it is. Well, okay, I'll be able to talk about that. I I hope one day to see the Anderson cut of that film. So, in in fairness, Anderson said that the what did he what did he say about the final cut that it wasn't his cut, but it wasn't far off from his cut. Yeah, he said there was just a little bit more exposition yeah. and a bit more gore. Yeah, I mean, I still like to see it. Yeah, once oh, again, sure. one of those uh, things with the studio kind of fiddling with shit. But obviously, we wouldn't have any of this stuff without Herschel Gordon's Lewis. So we wanted to pay uh, some some special respects to uh, the guy who the the visionary. You're talking about Jesus Franco. Yeah, that's it. Yes, Jesus Franco. He went by Jess. Yeah, you know why he went by Jess? Because we were whitewashing everything. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wanted to pay special tribute to Herschel Gordon Lewis, who's, yeah. you know, the the genius debauchery of that man's mind. Yes. Brought us, you know, pretty much the horror genre that we that we eat up every single day mm-hmm. here at Weekend Horror. So uh, rest in peace, Herschel. We miss you. Rest in peace, Herschel. <laughs> and we've got one birthday. And I reason I reason I picked this guy is because our previous special guest, Cassie Shea Watson, um, she got her start working on a Patrick Melton film. And that was uh, Feast 2, which was the second one in that series. But uh, that was written by Patrick Melton, born June 18th, 1975. Um, I have followed his career since the uh, since the um, the green light. This is the, the, the green light project on Patrick HBO. Light, yeah. Mm-hmm. Was this one on Where, HBO, or did it, this was this when they moved? This was the last one on HBO, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, and then it kicked off, and then he was able to get Feast produced uh, under Project Greenlight, which was you know Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. They they were they were they were putting that forward. The winner of that would get like a million dollars to make a movie. And that's how they made Feast, and then that spawned a trilogy. And our previous special guest was in the second one of that. Uh-huh. Um, but he's take, gone from there, from a from a basically a reality a reality show winner. To make his first movie, to a, 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 an incredible, um, an incredible career so far. Him and his uh, his writing partner Marcus Dunstan. I mean, these are the they became some of the minds. Uh, they were behind uh, Saw Six and Saw Seven, I think. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they created the Collector. Uh, four, five, and six, and then three D. Four, five, and six. Four, five, six, and three D, actually. Okay, and seven. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. My goodness, that guy did the Jesus Christ. He was busy for a while. He had a, he had a good gig. Yeah, they and they. I mean, the things that they worked. Uh, the the My Bloody Valentine 3D, the uh, Piranha 3D, um, a remake of uh, Hellraiser, and the Tingler. He, he, so wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He was part of the remake of Hellraiser. Yeah. Well, that's points in the wrong direction. <laughs> they're good writers, and I've seen I've seen what they what they put together. And which they, they well, work with which really one? Good. They're working. They're, they're currently working on a remake of Scanners and a film adaptation of The Outer Limits as well. Man, Scanners remaking Scanners is dangerous. That is dangerous, That's but it. I would like to. I, I mean, it could be updated as long as they as long as they pay legitimate homage to the original stuff. Don't do like. Oh no! I really can't bring that up because Ridley Scott directed both. <laughs> Which what, what are we talking about? I was thinking about Blade Runner. 
because it was like Ridley Scott directed Blade Runner and it was brilliant. But then he also directed Blade Runner twenty forty nine. No, really, Scott. Really, Scott didn't direct Blade Runner twenty forty. He produced it. He produced, he produced it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Dennis, okay. Dennis Verwill directed. Yeah. Uh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That that's okay. Okay. Thank God because because there was a disconnect between the first one and the second one. So yeah. Yeah. Eighty uh, was it? Uh, twenty years? Thirty years? That's your disconnect. <laughs> I mean, the people. It, the, everybody was was shocked when the movie tanked. I don't understand why the first one tanked. It was a cold, but classic. it's really good. I agree. May, I love yeah, the film. It may take time. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, the first one tanked, and obviously, if you wait that long, and you you're banking on the novelty of having Harrison Ford in your film, uh, you know, okay, I guess it worked for Star Wars. Yeah, but predominantly, uh, Patrick Melton has uh, worked as a writer. As uh, one of the, I mean, one of the coolest ones I've come across. I love mo- most of his work. Pretty much all of his work, I've really dug it. Um, from you know, from everything from the original Feast back in two thousand five, all mm-hmm. the way up to the Collection in two thousand twelve. I like the Collector series. I can't wait for the third one to come out. Um, I think that's coming out next year or this year. We're going to get the Collector three. Yeah, and, the soft franchise. So, and he also he did uh, writing work with Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. That's right, he did. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So that that's him right with Del with Del Toro producing. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, is his career is moving in the right direction. When you yes, go from is. Project Greenlight, then you get your own you get your own trilogy. You get put you get be able to work on the Saw franchise, which we all know is a huge franchise. And then he's creating another franchise with the Collector. I mean, he's he's gone in the right direction. Yes, he is. And that's. It seems like awesome. we love it seems like he like and James Wan both kind of came out of that late nineties, early two thousands, and just kind of went. I mean, blew up. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, there, there there was a pair. There was Lee. Uh, there was a uh, um, Lee Wannell. Lee Wannell and James Wan. Yeah. Yep, and then uh, Marcus Dunson and Patrick Melton. Yep. See, this is this is the this is what's really really cool. What I really really like is teams. Is is working is working as as partnerships. Yeah, and, and it's, it's it, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say it's surprising that Project Greenlight went with another kind of duo because even though I don't think it was a, I, what, they both were were selecting a Project Greenlight, right? It was both of them. Wasn't it or was it just um, was it just Patrick? I think uh, he wrote it. It was directed by John Gulliger. Right. And okay. So by, yeah. If you, I don't know if you, I used to watch that project. I saw the first one that they did that was really shitty. And then the second one with uh, the Battle of Shaker Heights, which was equally as shitty. But they did a, like a duo thing to a double director and a writer kind of thing. They did, and it was just hor- it went horribly bad. I, was, I didn't think they were going to pick another uh, duo team of directors. No, this one, I think it was just, it was a, it was a single director, but dual writers. Right. So Marcus and Marcus and Patrick, uh, wrote it and it was directed by, but solely directed by John Gulliger and produced by Michael Lee. But you know, whatever it takes to get your foot in the door. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's all it takes is you get that one project out there, you get your name out there. And then now he's entrenched in, um, in horror. I can't wait to see what he has coming next. They got a ton of ideas that are coming up. These guys are highly sought after, especially Patrick. Um, I, for one, am looking forward to the Collector Three. Uh, I don't know where they're going to go with that after the ending of the uh, ending of the collection. 
So that should be a lot of fun. But yes, definitely uh, up and rising star, uh, a rising star. Happy birthday, Patrick Melton. Happy birthday, Patrick. Yeah. All right. I want to give a huge thank you again to Johnny O for guest hosting with us tonight. Oh, for certain. It was a lot of fun. You guys are awesome. Much love. Uh, where can where can our listeners find your stuff? Uh, you actually can find me uh, several places. You can get onto rockmetaltalk.com every Friday night, 8 to 11 Central, and hear me just go on about God knows what with God knows who. Every now and again, we'll have special guests on like J.L. Warren. Uh, Eugene's too good for us, so he doesn't come on. He's like, no, I'm not doing that stupid show. I've done, I've done one. <laughs> well, we, do, we do have our special project. And we yes. do, yeah, so we do have the, we do have the uh, Master Debaters Um best in series where we debate we'll take your favorite horror film franchise and debate which entry was the best and june 20th we've got the scream franchise coming up that's going to be fun um eugene you're going to be on for that one too right you're taking up number two i'm I'm taking number one number one jl you're taking number two i'm taking scream two yep yep jl's always taking number two <laughs> big number two. I'm big on number two. Big on number two. And then you can find you can also find us on uh you can find us on the old YouTubes uh where I post uh commentary videos about all kinds of shit. Uh the most recent one that I did was uh on I had to do like a wish feed thing. Uh when you're a content creator and you look up all the st- stupid shit that we look up, your wish feed gets jacked up. My, mine got really <laughs> jacked up. So go check that video out. I think it's pretty fun. It was a lot of fun. I also did one about. I also did one about uh, allegedly Dave, who um, does not allegedly drink his pee. He just does drink his pee. So go check that one out too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna try and have. I'm gonna try and have another another one out. Uh, top ten dumbest things that flat earthers say. Uh, trying to put that out. That out. Uh, well, by the time you hear this, it'll already be out. So hopefully you've seen it. But yeah, oh, cool. that's where you get me. All right. Well, we definitely look forward to that stuff. Johnny, thank you so much for coming out and uh, being a part of this and uh, picking up the slack for our, our loser co-host, Alex. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a lot of fun. I appreciate it. <laughs> uh-huh. oh, somebody has to have a birthday and go on vacation. I, I fuck her, Yeah, I fuck around. Happy birthday, Alex. We miss you, dude. We can't wait for you to be back. And, of course, yeah. I'm going to whoop your fucking ass in the next bloodbath debate. Happy birthday. Yes. Or I'm going to try. <laughs> 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 so yes thank you thank you once again uh johnny o for for stepping in right and we also would like to thank the listeners right thank you so much for listening we wouldn't be able to do this without you so we greatly greatly appreciate it if you like more information why don't you check out our website of weekendhorror.net net right there you can email us we like feedback comments questions you can be like hey your podcast is awesome or i hate your podcast either way please email us talk to us comment us let us know how you're doing out there uh you can also email us at weekendhorror at gmail.com and let's say you really like our podcast why don't you check out our patreon page right if you go to patreon.com slash weekendhorror we we have you'll have early access to our bloodbaths where we take two horror icons and we put them in a battle to the death. Which I think this upcoming one is Jigsaw versus the Collector. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be 
very very good you're going to want to check that out and then also we have our after dark where which we have our monthly guest come on and we sit and chat with them for about 45 minutes on what is the state of horror and how they feel about the genre and stuff like that. you get some inside info so if you want that first check out our patreon page slash weekend horror also check us out on facebook twitter we do our daily splatter and this is you get a little little bit of horror knowledge every single day and also check out our youtube channel yes our youtube channel youtube channel just straight week in horror where we will be posting our podcast there you can also check out our podcast at regular places also such as iHeartRadio, spotify google play but we're also on youtube so you can go ahead and check that out we got a nice trailer there that you can that you can uh watch Yep, I'm JL. And I'm Eugene. I'm Johnny O from the plot hole. And we will see you next week. And as always, stay scared.